Well, thanks, folks, for leading us in song this morning. Good morning, folks. Great to see you all. As Sarah has already mentioned, and, um, and as you will have read if you're picking up the emails, we're kicking off the second part in our series, Working Through the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be working through chapters 10 through to 19. <clears throat> If you've ever read the Gospels or, or any of the Gospels, you will perhaps have noticed that the Gospel writers present Jesus using a, a number of different modes of communication as he goes about speaking to people, preaching to them, teaching them, conversing with them. So, for example, um, the Gospel writers themselves, each one will have a particular emphasis. So we go to our, our oldest gospel, the gospel of Mark, and Mark's emphasis, he, he majors on, on Jesus as a, as a preacher, as a proclaimer. Jesus coming and declaring that something new is happening. When we read through Matthew's gospel, the emphasis is a, is a little bit different. The emphasis is upon Jesus as a teacher. In fact, the whole gospel itself is structured and organized around different blocks of teaching. When I was preparing this sermon, it dawned on me that for lots of you, you only ever hear me talk on a Sunday, and um, you will associate my voice with a number of things. (laughs) Perhaps as somebody who prays because you hear me praying, but more often than not, you will hear me teaching. That's what I try to do at church, and my voice perhaps means to you, oh, that's that guy who preaches. Um, sometimes I take that voice into the home as well, and it doesn't always work out that way. If I adopt that approach when I'm around the house, preaching and teaching doesn't seem to work with, with my son or my wife, and I'll, at times I'll hear a little bit of pushback with words to the effect of, you're not a church now, Stefan. <laughs> with that accusing finger. You see that little accusing finger? <laughs> All the gospel writers will present Jesus as a preacher and as a teacher. But what we're looking to pull out of the series as we work through Luke is Jesus as a conversationalist. <laughs> not Jesus as a preacher, not Jesus as a teacher, but Jesus in conversation. And in Luke's gospel, we find Jesus speaking informally, in conversational give and take. We, we see him at conversation while eating a meal in people's home, at conversation with friends, strolling along in fields or along a lecture, responding to the various interruptions that come his way, and the questions that he finds people directing to him. You see, when Jesus wasn't preaching and teaching, he talked with the men and the women with whom he lived with, and he talked with them about the stuff that was going on in their lives, the stuff that was making the headlines in his particular day and age. He talked about people. He talked about events, just like actually most of our conversation is comprised of. 
And much of Jesus' conversation are actually found at the center of Luke's gospel, the portion that we're going to preach through for the next couple of months, chapters 10 through to 19. And in these chapters, we find lots of different conversations of which Jesus is at the heart of them. Conversations between Jesus and his followers. Conversations between Jesus and the men and the women that he meets, because throughout these chapters, he's going on a journey, okay? Chapter 10 sets it up. He's leaving Galilee, and he's going to Jerusalem, and he has to go through a place called Samaria to get there. That's why the block of teaching is sometimes referred as the travel narrative. And the interesting thing as well, in these chapters, well, we find lots of material, lots of information that we find nowhere else in the Gospels. They are unique to the Gospel of Luke. And one of the little features, and I hope that you're going to pick this up as you read along, one of the the standout features in these particular chapters is how frequently Jesus tells many stories, What, what you and I perhaps call parables. There's loads of them squeezed into this 10 chapter block. And that is going to be the format of our series for the next couple of months. We're going to take each week one of the parables that features in the reading. And just to make sure that I reference both my sources and my inspiration, this book that you can see on the screen, well, it is by Eugene Peterson, and it's his commentary on these 10 chapters of Luke. They're called Tell It Slant. And I'm going to be borrowing Eugene Peterson's outline and much of the material that he provides in that book. So if you're looking to get ahead or read along in the sermon, that's one of the ways that you can get plugged in. Now, I want to achieve a couple of things through this series. When it comes to the preaching and the teaching input on on the Sundays, I'm hoping that I can write interesting, inspiring sermons that open up your minds and more importantly, our hearts to following Jesus. That's that's the first and the most important thing that I want to achieve. But the second thing is this. I want to encourage you to actually read along. Pick up your Bibles and read along as we teach and preach through this section in Luke's Gospel. Last week, we gave out the little reading guidelines. We emailed them out as well. And I have some more paper copies with me today. And quite simply, we've just broken down the section into a chapter a week with a couple of little breaks in between to help you catch up. Please, please, please be reading along as we preach through. Because the Bible, the Bible is a gift to us as a community. Not just to people like me who, who who refer to it and and try to open it up for other people, but it is a gift to each and every single one of us. So I would encourage you to be reading along a chapter per week. I know some of you like to go a little bit deeper. And last year when we opened up the first part of Luke, I recommended this little commentary to you. And I'm going to do it again because I really can't speak highly enough of the author of these little commentaries, Tom Wright. his ability to, to open up the Scripture and open up the Gospels and, and get underneath the surface, well, I just think they're absolutely fantastic. So if you're somebody who wants to dig a little deeper in your Bible reading, I recommend that you purchase that little commentary. They're no more than five or six pounds from online sellers. 
And last but not least, one of my favorite group of people, the Bible Project. You can get access to a range of free online resources that, again, will help you dig a little bit deeper and understand what Luke is doing in his presentation of Jesus in his gospel. This is especially good if you struggle with reading because there's a lot of little animated videos that you know that I've showed before that can just help guide you through the gospels themselves. themselves. So that's my little sales pitch done. Um, And before we jump into our text for today, Luke chapter 10, let's just pause for a moment. Steady our minds and our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your word, and as we open it, would you apply it to our hearts and to our lives? Might it come to life, Lord, as we listen and live it? Lord, as we go at the end of this service into our homes and our workplaces and our leisure spaces, Lord, help us to have the confidence and the desire to open up your word, to learn about Jesus directly as you would teach us through your word and the spirit that accompanies it. For we would ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first of our parables is found in Luke chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles with you, either your paper Bibles or perhaps your online apps, I encourage you to turn to that. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version today. But Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through to verse 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let me just pause there for a moment. Um, We're introduced to this particular chap. He's called an expert in the law. What, what Luke is telling us here isn't that he's a lawyer or a solicitor, but he's like a Bible scholar, a, a religion professor. And Luke tells us that he stood up to test Jesus, to test Jesus with a question. The question being, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, now the first thing to note here as we work through these verses is that this expert in the law, this Bible scholar, at this point in the exchange is simply doing his job. When Luke is telling us that he is testing Jesus, it's not necessarily a a negative thing or a pejorative thing. He's actually doing his job. He is responsible for testing people for authenticity. At this point, there's no reason to suggest that that he is exercising hostility towards Jesus. Sometimes we can feel these things, um, but that's not necessarily the case here. He's testing Jesus for authenticity in the way that maybe a political party candidate would be tested for his or her authenticity in the hustings. We're probably reading a little bit about that at the moment with the Labour Party, aren't we? They're looking to appoint a, a new leader, and they're looking to test that leader for their authenticity. This chap is doing the same thing in relation to Jesus. But as the test is being conducted, we notice, I think, something significant about the way Jesus communicates and interacts with this expert in the law. 
We're talking about religious things, yet Jesus doesn't turn around and use the question as an opportunity to preach or proclaim or interpret. He simply converses with the gentleman in front of him. We see Jesus engaging in respectful give and take. He's not confrontational, neither is he condescending. Rather, he uses conversation in a way that I think opens up a space for the two men to relate to one another. But we're not sure at this point whether that is what the Bible scholar wants in relation to Jesus. And to me, it feels as if he wants to keep Jesus at an impersonal distance, okay? There's something about the interaction that makes me think that he wants to keep Jesus at arm's length. He's interested enough to go and ask him questions, interested enough to want to hear what he has to say, but a little bit unsure whether he wants to let him closer. Now, let's see what happens. Jesus answers the question that is directed towards him in typically Jewish style. You know that Jewish people say this about themselves, the best answer to a question is another question. (laughs) And of course, Jesus, well, we see it there, don't we, in the next verse. What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? The ground shifts. (laughs) This is no longer an objective examination from the law expert to Jesus. Jesus, through conversation, well, he creates the space in which, well, conversation and relationship might be born between the two men. As an aside, I think this is a great way of striking up a conversation. The the question that Jesus uses here, which is essentially, what do you think? Well, I think we humans find it very, very difficult, well, to resist that question. If somebody asks us, what do you think? (laughs) It's very hard to keep quiet, isn't it? We find it difficult to jump, to not jump in there and offer our thoughts. But I think that there's something very person-affirming when somebody goes to the bother of asking you what your opinion is on something. Even though the Bible scholar is treating Jesus with impersonal detachment, Jesus is not reciprocating that. He humanizes the conversation. He interacts with the man as a man, as a person. <laughs> he gets involved in the interaction, asking questions, listening to what is said. In other words, through conversation. So Jesus has turned the tables. He's asked a question. He poses one back. And the Bible scholar, well, we read in verses 27 and 28, well, the answer that he gives. And the scholar, he goes back to the Old Testament and he he quotes a verse from Deuteronomy and a verse from Leviticus. This is what he says. He answered to Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength and with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. You have replied correctly, said Jesus, do this and you will live. You see, I think what Jesus has done here is sought out and found common ground with this Bible scholar. In a sense, he he gives the Bible scholar the, the thumbs up, the seal of approval. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. They share the common ground. They're both orthodox 
Everyone wins. What a great outcome for a conversation that could become a debate. But not quite. <laughs> the scholar, instead of feeling relaxed and friendly with Jesus, well, he asks another question. He's not happy with the outcome of the debate and the conversation so far. Who is my neighbor? He asks Jesus. And interestingly, Luke ascribes a motive to the question. He tells us that the scholar was looking to justify himself. Jesus, I think, has evidently thrown him off guard. Has that ever happened to you in a conversation, by the way? Somebody has answered a question that you have asked, and they've given you the answer that you share, but there's something about the exchange and the interaction that's left you feeling dissatisfied. Has that, has that ever happened? You get that sense of a feeling, you wanting to justify yourself, wanting to find out more. I find when I have that there, it leads me into an argument, so I try to resist that impulse. Sometimes successfully, oftentimes not. But this man isn't happy about something that Jesus has said. <laughs> and I think that, you see, the scholar, he started off the conversation, well, with confidence. Do you ever start a conversation in confidence, thinking you know where it's going to go, and about five minutes later it's in a place that you have no idea where this conversation is going? Is that, does that only really happen to me? Does that ever happen to any of you? You start down a line of thought and end up somewhere off that you never dreamt you would go before. <laughs> I can imagine that this scholar, he finds himself losing control of the conversation. He started out with confidence. He started out in charge. He's the guardian of truth. He intends to judge Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus completely turns the tables. And I think that he does it in at least two ways. First of all, he surprises him by his desire to seek out common ground. He doesn't want to argue with the man. He wants to relate well with him. Are any of you, do any of you ever itch for a fight or an argument? <laughs> you try to pick a fight with someone and they won't bite because they don't want to fight you. They just want to relate with you. They want to be your friends. And you try a number of different tactics to uproot the conversation, to turn it into an argument. And you're just met with somebody who's affectionate and open-hearted towards you. Well, I think that that's kind of the way Jesus is here. He doesn't want to argue with this man. He actually wants to seek out common ground with him. <laughs> he wants to converse with him. I think that's one of the ways that Jesus upends the conversation and puts the man on the back foot. But by his pushing, he's no longer the guy examining Jesus. Jesus is now conducting the examination of him. <laughs> and that's another point that I think that resonates with us contemporary disciples. Sometimes we think we are the people who put Jesus in the hot seat. <laughs> we'll judge him. We'll put him on the stage and ask him the questions. But you don't have to be walking too far and too long with Jesus to find that, that approach doesn't work. He knows us inside out, and we will soon find ourselves being the ones who are answering him. But let us think about this scholar for a while. He's found himself now in the position that he's no longer in charge of the 
conversation. This is what Eugene Peterson in Tell It Slant says about the scholar. The Bible scholar is a veteran at the religion business. He knows that a person can hide undetected for a long time, maybe even for a lifetime behind religious questions. He has been doing this all his life, leading Bible studies, asking probing questions, fulfilling religious functions, and never been found out. When I read that during the week, I recognized somebody in that description. Do you know who it was? Myself. I recognized in those words somebody like me. A veteran at the religion business. Able to hide behind the religious questions, the Bible knowledge, and not being found out. And that's the danger that those of us who have been on this road for a long time, we can become really quite adept at the religion business without truly being found out. I think that's a challenge that comes to us all the longer we walk with Jesus. And there's something this Bible scholar that I relate to on that level of never being found out. (laughs) He maybe was round the block a few times and never found out, but Jesus finds him out. (laughs) Jesus finds him out, and it's the parable that doesn't. To the question, who is my neighbor, Jesus tells a story. And the story that he tells has become one of his most well-known. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know the story, listen to it as I read it out. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's a really popular, well-trodden road back then and now. This man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, left him naked. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, a wad of cash, and give them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. An utterly, utterly brilliant response. And one that we all know a couple of thousand years later after it has been 
told. <laughs> a simple story, simply told, in which the priest and the Levite, the religious professionals, religious professionals like the law scholar, the people who knew God's law, the people who knew God's command to love your neighbor as yourself, leave the command undone. <laughs> But they themselves, the people who should have known better, well, they're shown up by the stereotypical bad guy, the Samaritan, the enemies, who fulfills the command of God without even knowing it. <laughs> I find that, just as an aside, a really, really great thing, that it's impossible for us humans to fulfill God's commands without even knowing them. That gives me hope. <laughs> but this is the thing. When it comes to people, Jesus isn't content to stay at the conceptual, theoretical, objective level. He wants to move things and he wants to move the conversation on from who is my neighbor, concept, theory, objectivity, to the very real and practical ways in which, I get this, in which we become neighbors to each other. <laughs> you see, Jesus' story did not define the neighbor. It created a neighbor. <laughs> and I love that. I love how Jesus turns the story on its head. We're not going to stay at the theoretical conceptual level. We're not going to spend time arguing about how we might define who our neighbor is. Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. Are you going to be a good neighbor? Will we be good neighbors? <laughs> I, almost, I almost broke out in song. Do you know what I was going to sing there? That, that well-known Australian soap. <laughs> neighbors, everybody needs good neighbors. Just a little understanding. You can find a better day. <laughs> Let's move it on. That The worship band are going to finish the service today by singing that. You've got it on the set list, don't you? <laughs> I need a drink now after that there. <laughs> In the telling of this parable, Jesus finds the man out. Is he as interested in actually loving a neighbor as he is in discussing and defining them? <laughs> And in effect, Jesus says, no more questions, no more answers, no more God talk, go and do. <laughs> and I think that Jesus sometimes says that to us, his people. No more detached questions about scripture, no more using religion as a way to dismiss the actual people who are in our lives. He simply says, go and do. <laughs> You see, this is the thing that I was learning from my own reading of the text today, that Jesus actually wants to lead people into keeping the good law and commands of God. He's not interested in arguing with people. He wants to lead them along the good path in life, walking with their God, obeying his commands. He wants to make of us, you and I, good neighbors. <laughs> people who love our neighbors as ourselves. 
He doesn't just issue the commandment. He wants to strengthen us to be those very people. And he knows that you and I need help to do that because it's not always easy to be a good neighbor. And he wanted to help the scholar. He wanted to help this expert in the law be a good neighbor. And he wants to do that for us, I think. But if we are honest, we are not fully the men and women we want to be, the people that we want to be, the good neighbors that Scripture commands us to be. We need the help, the mercy, and the forgiveness of the Master as we become good neighbors. But I am curious as I've read this text, Luke gives us enough information to know that he perhaps has a personal knowledge of this expert in the law. Now, I don't know if that is the case, but we are not told whether the scholar took up Jesus' offer of a relationship. We are not sure whether or not the scholar entered into the community that Jesus was building, a community that was populated by people who were good neighbors. Luke simply doesn't tell us. And I think that he omits the the answer to that question for a reason, because we are at this point meant to invite and read ourselves into the text and interact with Jesus on a personal level. What's Jesus saying to you and I through the reading of this text? Luke doesn't tell us what become of the gentleman, but what we do know is that the Bible scholar was asking the right type of questions. You might be asking them as well, I think about the questions that he asked throughout this reading today. Who is my neighbor? This is a good question. Jesus doesn't dismiss his question. He says it's a good question. It's worth talking about. It's one that's worth asking. It's actually worth us pausing for a minute and asking that question ourselves. Take ownership of that question. Who is my neighbor? Who are our neighbors? The people you live with, the people you work with, the people you're in community with. Those people will have names and faces and you will know them. (laughs) But you see, the Bible scholar asked the wrong follow-up question. His next question should have been this, will I be a neighbor? Will I be a good neighbor. Hi, Jesus, can I be a good neighbor? And the answer to this question is this, with Jesus' help, yes. Will we be neighbors? Will we be good neighbors who represent the master well? With Jesus' help, yes. I want to just let that question hang there for a minute as the band make the way back up to the platform to finish us off today. We've engaged with Scripture today, and hopefully it's been, to a certain degree, interesting, if not downright entertaining. (laughs) But we want this text to take up a boat in our lives, don't we? We want to do business with Jesus. We don't want to keep him at arm's length. We want to let him in. 
And he wants us to be a neighbor. But we acknowledge that's not always easy. Sometimes we don't want to be good neighbors. We want to strike back. We want to harbor anger, to hold back forgiveness. But we want to be known as good neighbors. We want to be known as a people who keep the commands of God. And as a response today, I just want to offer this as a closing prayer for us to to take us to the end of the service and out into the week that is rising up to meet us. So take a moment or two, and before we pray this prayer together, just read it for yourselves and take the words and Use them as a prayer in this moment and for this time and for the week ahead. And if you're able, stand with me as we pray this together. Lord, Make us attuned to your compassion, to the kindness of your heart. Transform our hearts and minds so that in kindness we will be good neighbors. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.